we've been studying in the book of Ephesians. We, uh, this is Parkside Bible Fellowship. We are a Bible church. We want to open the Bible up and look at it and have it speak to our hearts. That's what is important. My opinion doesn't really matter. Your opinion really doesn't matter. What matters right now is we gather as a people of God is what the Word of God says. Okay? And I'm glad that you're here. And uh, why don't we pray again and ask God's uh, leading and guiding in our time in His Word. Lord, we acknowledge the fact that You are God and You are our Creator. We bow before You. We humble ourselves before You. And please just set our hearts afire to hunger after your word more and to see you glorified in our lives. And Lord, the the combination of your word and your Holy Spirit indwelling us is powerful. And the gospel, it is powerful. And so please help us to recognize that and yield to you in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, as we're starting here... I know there's things that we struggle with in life. And sometimes the struggles get so heavy, so overwhelming that we think there's nothing that will work. And I'm telling you, there is. It's Jesus Christ and His power in your life. The gospel made alive in you. Gospel living is what we're going to talk about today. And it's uh, entitled, The Worthy Walk, Up Close and Personal. When you get up close and personal to someone, you can, you know, all sorts of things can happen. You can see their eyes. Are they bloodshot? Yes. You can smell their coffee breath? Yes. All sorts of things up close and personal. So what we want to do is get up close and personal with a worthy walk. And that's what Paul helps us to do in chapter 4, starting at verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's the passage that we'd like to look at today. Then next week we'll finish chapter 4. And then February, Pastor Brennan will be taking chapter 5 and working through that. In the past, um, what we were doing was trading off weeks and we thought, you know what might be better is to say, let's take a segment of Ephesians and then Pastor Brennan will take one. So that's what we'll be doing this year. See how that works. That'll be good. Okay, so really what we're seeing here is Christian living in purity. In purity. Holy living. And really what Paul does is, and you've heard it just now in the reading of Scripture, Here's he's setting forth this contrast between the old self and the new self. And what we need to see, if you're saying you're a believer... 
what we need to do is understand that the gospel makes a difference in everything. The gospel changes everything. We have to get that. Because all too often we think that the gospel is something that is application and you just put it on and everything will be fine. And that's not the case. It's not just saying, here, do a little remodeling in your life. A little remodeling in your life might work great at home, but it does not work in your walk with God. Because all too often, what's behind the remodeling of your, the little remodeling of your life is your power and your strength. And guess what? That does not count with God. That is not blessed by God. So what we need is a radical change. And that's what the gospel brings. And the more we understand what the gospel is, the more we'll see. Yes, this is a radical change. It's like, it's like a transplant. Okay? So, at the start here, if you want to follow along and take notes, that's great. Um, you can take the little insert in your bulletin and track along with it. But here we start with that Paul gives the exhortation for gospel living. The exhortation, that's in the, under the introduction. The exhortation for gospel living. Where he says, now, this I say and testify in the Lord. He's saying, I'm saying what the Lord's saying. I'm, I've got the confidence of Christ in saying this to you. Okay? So he's not just um, grabbing something. He's saying this in, in witness to God in his life. So then here in verses 17 through 24, as he continues on, what he's in essence saying is gospel. Here's what... Point number one, here's what gospel living exposes. When we are living the gospel out in our lives, here's what it really contrasts. Here's what it exposes. And what is it? The old man. He's saying, don't walk in that way. Don't walk like the, the Gentiles walked. Okay? And now, let me take, let's take a step back before we keep walking in this and diving into this topic. Really, what we're dealing with is the issue of man's depravity. That's really what he's now going to allude to and, and relate to. He says, don't walk in that old manner of life. Don't walk like the Gentiles. What's the Gentiles? Well, that's the, the pagans, the unbelievers. And that's just another name for us to understand, along with being an unbeliever. Okay? But what underneath it, it, it's what it's showing is, is my depravity, your depravity, the fact that you and I even teamed together and building up things and saying, here's what we'll do together. Even that, that will fall short of God's glory, of God's perfect standard. You can't do it. I can't do it. And so the encouragement here about new life in Christ is to walk a worthy walk. That's what we saw a couple of weeks before. Walk a worthy walk, a, wor- a worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Okay? So God wants His children who have faith in Jesus Christ to be different than the world. That's what it means to be set apart. Okay? And what we're talking about isn't so much clothing. It should be about our clothing, but it's about the heart. What's in the heart and what's being developed in the heart? What's growing in the heart? So God wants us to be different than the world. He wants us to be 
a believing person, not an unbelieving person. There's a difference there. Don't be like the Gentiles. They have, they are the ones who are known to have rejected God. They've rejected the gospel. They killed Jesus. Right? They rejected Christ. They, they rely on themselves, not on God. And their worldview is all about themselves and temporal things. That's the idea behind the term Gentile. Okay? And before Christ, you were a Gentile. You were an unbeliever. You were a pagan. You were lost in sin. Not, not kind of just stained. You were lost in your sin. Okay? And so, Paul runs through a listing describing the walk of the Gentiles here in verse 17, 18, and 19, just in this first section. And in your outline, if you want it, here it is. What the gospel exposes is letter A, the mindset. The mindset. Then secondly, letter B, the alienation or the separation. Then third, letter C, the hardness of heart. And then letter D, the outflow, the consequences, the outcome of it all. So that's what we want to look at first is what the gospel, what gospel living exposes. It's about the mindset. And look at what he does there in verse 17. He starts with saying, in the futility of their minds. That's how they walk. It starts with the, in the futility of their minds. Okay? Thinking. What is thinking? I hope you're thinking right now. <laughs> okay? Thinking is our capacity to contemplate, to dwell on, to weigh out, to consider, right? We're thinking. Gentile thinking is declared to be what? What does he say? It's futile. What does futile mean? Vain. What is vain? Empty. Worthless. You say, really? Is that, is that supposed to be an insult if I'm not a believer? No, that's just the, the way that God describes it. Why? Because God is not in the picture. God is not in the equation. The fool says in his heart there is what? No God. Right? And so Paul is just elaborating on the fact that, hey, you know what? Here it is. Gentile thinking is declared to be empty and futile purposelessness. Okay. Then he goes on to understanding. What does he say there? Look at it. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Declared to be darkened. Now, all throughout Scripture, we I mentioned a, a bit of this in Sunday school, but um, the motif of light and darkness is all through, runs throughout all of the Scriptures. Okay. So what we want to do is look at a couple... Um, keep your your marker here in Ephesians and turn back to John chapter uh, John chapter three. Let's look at what Jesus has said here. John chapter three. Well, we're turning there. You know, the the John chapter one is also making mention of it that Christ came as the living Word, 
uh, in John chapter 1, that in him was life and the life was the light of men and light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then chapter 3, where I asked you to turn, you look at verse 19. And this is the judgment. Jesus is speaking. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now, that does not say or suggest that everyone was at the lowest pit of wickedness, right? You, you follow that? It's just that, but everyone was there. People love darkness of all different kinds. And that's what we see throughout Scripture. It's not just that everyone's like a Charles Manson kind of a status, a terrible, wicked murderer of people. No. It's just that here's the, the setting that people love darkness rather than light. And then look at verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? That his deeds should be exposed. And remember, it's a simple illustration. There's different illustrations throughout Scripture. But what did Eve do? You know... Adam and Eve, once they sinned against God, they kind of, whoop, let's get out of here. Let's go into hiding. <laughs> so combining the two, thinking and understanding, make up, here's, that's why I say, here's the mindset that a person has. And the challenge is, folks, friends here, listen, <laughs> what's your mindset like? And you can't just answer it and be done with the, the, the issue, the question. You can't be done with it. It's an ongoing life issue. Today, tomorrow, the next week, the next month, the next year is still going to be a concern about what's your mindset like. It's important that we have the, the washing of the water of the Word of God in our lives. Not just to bank on the fact that I attended Sunday school as a little child all my life, so I got it down. No, it's to continue growing in the things of the Word of God. Why? Because of the way my heart is, the way my mind works, the way yours does. Now, added on to this, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, then Romans, okay? Just for those that need some assistance in that. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Look at it. It's about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And here's what he explains. For what can be known? What does that tell you now? You've got to be thinking. You've got to be taking stuff in your mind, thinking and understanding. Because why? God's shown himself. What can be known, right? About God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, revealed it to them. For his invisible attributes. You can't see him, but they're, they're there. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. But you know what happens? 
people reject that notion. They just say, no, that's not true. But it's evident. That's what the Scriptures tell us. That ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now look at verse 21, important here. For although they, what? They knew God. Not in a saving way, but they knew about God. They knew about God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became, what is, what's the word there? Futile, empty in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Their understanding was then darkened. Okay? Then, if you're taking notes, just jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. You don't need to turn there, but I just want to read it to you. That the natural man, again, a Gentile, an unbeliever, the natural man, without the Spirit of God, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. The natural man thinks that the things of God are foolishness. That's what the natural man is figuring. They're foolishness to him. I could remember back in the day, you know, thinking that some things that I'd heard about Christianity and God were foolish. That's ridiculous. Some of you too, you also, you, you thought that way. Some of you even now think that way. That the things of God are, are foolishness. You look at the Word of God and you say, that's, that's, that's got to be a myth. It's got to be something drawn up by the disciples. Something like that. And yet what you're doing is you're saying God's not strong enough to do a miracle. God's not powerful enough to do a miracle. Who are we talking about? We're not talking about Santa Claus in the sky. We're talking about Almighty God. He's Almighty God and He's holy and He's perfect. And so... The natural man says they're, they're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. He does not know because he does not have the Spirit of God enlightening his eyes, enlightening his mind to the things of God. So the mindset of the unbeliever then leads to the next point, And that is letter B, the alienation. I mean, there's no connection. They're, they're separate from God. They're, they're alienated from God. There's no fellowship. There's, it's that there's no communion that darkness has with light. You can't say, let's have fellowship with darkness if you're in light. No, you can't do that. Why? That just doesn't happen. Darkness has fellowship with dark. Light has fellowship with light. That's the idea, you know, and I, I, I think of this, I don't know why, it just comes to mind of when, when our folks went to India... And they met up with Christians, people that they had never met, never seen. What happened when you met up with other Christians in India? It was like, what? We have fellowship. It's like these guys, brothers, sisters in the Lord. You can go to any country like that and find God's people and have fellowship with them. You don't even know them. And there's a, there's a, a connection there with them. That's wonderful. And, and it, it warms your heart about... There's Christians in other countries that love Jesus Christ. But the, the walk of the Gentile is one of separation from God. Mark down 1 John 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the message you, that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So therefore, that forms this understanding of 
if you're in the light, you have fellowship with those who are in the light. And you want to grow in that more and more. And more and more. So when man rejects God, he rejects the light and remains in his darkness, alienated, separated from God. And more and more in our culture, the truth is revealed from God's word. And this is what we have as a result of... uh, in our schooling, in our education, in our churches, in our national uh, leadership ways, we're calling that which is evil, what? Good. And that's a condemnation on America. That's a condemnation on people that do that. When we say, here's something that's evil and we call it good, I think most of us understand... You know, it, it, we get to thinking like, why hasn't God just wiped out America? Kind of like, because of our evil, because of the evil, because of how we call that which is evil, we call it good. It's uh, it's sad, and I'm guilty of not speaking up more. So we we need to, you know, and it goes both ways. You call what is evil good, and you call what is good evil. It's a sad thing. So, you see the connection? Here's the mindset that gospel living ought to expose and, and contrast. And here's the, then the, from the mindset, the alienation or the separation. And then it goes to the hardness of heart. Here's really what I believe starts it all up. The hardness of heart. Okay? Back to Ephesians chapter 4. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the, what? The ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. It's because of the hardness of heart. How does one get a hard heart? And, and that's, a, that's a concern that we ought to have, especially if you have children and you're helping them grow and learn. That's something that you continually have to pray and ask God. Keep, you know, please, dear God, help my child to have a soft heart towards the things of God. I mean, you just take, you know, a guy, you can't take my hands for an example because I, I sit in a desk. <laughs> but, you know, somebody that's uh, like a construction worker that's out there, you know, all the time, you, you feel their hands and what, what do you feel? A callousness. And you could probably take a nail and, and stick it in them and they'd go, what are you doing? They, and, and you stick it in my hand and, ah! You know, I feel the pain because I don't have the calluses. Now, the, the point isn't about the construction worker. The point is about a heart. And you can be in here right now and have a hard heart against God. And, and the reason is this. You have continued to reject and repeat things saying that you don't need God. And thus your behavior then allows itself to live in such a way to, to go and do whatever. That's what we'll get in the next point. So you have to understand here is that the thing of repetition in a wrong direction leads to hardness of heart. And it, it's not just like one little act or something. It's repetition in a, in a direction of your life that develops a hardness of heart. 
And what he's saying with these words is that you no longer have any feeling from, here's your conscience saying yes or no. Not the Holy Spirit. It's your conscience that's in you. And you've kept on saying, eh, I don't need to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. And thus a hardness builds and a callousness builds. And there's no one person that can fix that other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and His work and His work to point you to the law and point you to His saving work and His saving grace, that's what will soften your heart. And Christian, we need to keep asking God, soften my heart, Lord. Soften my heart. So, and the, the thing is, if you keep going in the wrong direction with your choices, what your conscience tells you, you're just going to ignore. And the Word of God, oh, that's not even a, an issue. I'm not going to listen to the Word of God kind of thing. It being a, uh, going in the direction of life I'm going. But more and more, the, um, here's a way to say it. More and more, the mechanics of unbelief settle into your heart and into your mind and into your life. And thus, when it comes to hearing the gospel, you're able to just kind of, eh, don't need it. Because there's a hardness of heart in your life. And what, and what has to happen, I mentioned it a little earlier, is not just a simple little makeover, uh, paint, out the, paint the outside, but it's a makeover of doing, uh, of having a transplant. That's what it is. It's about having a transplant. You've got to have a new heart. The one who is in Christ is a new man. If any man be in Christ, he is... It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old has passed away. Behold, all is new. Okay? So that hardness then leads to the obvious. Letter D is the outflow. Here's the, the results. The results is just simply, here's man's choosing and his impure lifestyle keeps coming forth. What is it saying here? Look at verse 19. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality. Okay? The issue of sensuality is, is lust, unbridled lust, lewdness, sinfulness. Okay? There's all sorts of things about what we can lust after. But I know that because it's, it's, it's way, way, just, it's ridiculous the amount of business that this country, America, has in regards to pornography. You know, pornography is such a monstrous business. It's a monstrous business. And so, you know, here's, here's the thing, especially young people, you know, students. It, it's so easy to get tempted because it can happen by way of the Internet. And parents, you, again, parents, you've got to be watching and paying attention and checking on them. But if you don't, and young people, if you get caught up in it, you get caught up in a trap. And so we, we must call out the warning 
to stay away. Stay away from it. Ask God to help you and see keeping you on a pure pathway. I didn't say perfect. A pure direction of life. And listen, it's not just, you know, something that affects only certain really bad guys. It affects everyone. Okay? And so we have to be on the lookout. Why? Because I don't want to walk like a Gentile. I want to walk like a child of God. Okay? And then not only sensuality, but what's the next term he uses? Greediness. A desire to have more and more. A person with a darkened mind, an alienated life, a hardened heart, produces what? A wickedness in their life. You see, are we going to... Is that what we're really going to land on and stick on today and that's it? No, because we need to move on. Point number two, what the gospel living embraces. Now he turns and says, here's, here's the issue. Here's what it ought to expose. Don't go there. Don't walk that way. But here's the way to go. Starting at verse 20, going through 24, is what gospel living embraces. Or what gospel living enjoins. There's a lot of words you can use. I like the idea of embrace. It it ought to leave an impression on my life because I'm embracing the gospel for living, not just for thinking, but for living. Okay? It's about, it starts with, it's interesting. Look at verse 20 and 21. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. Here's the thing, you know, it might be that you are here and you say, yeah, I've, I've learned about Jesus. You could still not be his child. You want to make sure that you are his child through faith in Christ. Because even back in the, in the church at Ephesus, there are people that were there that assumed they were Christians, but were not. Thus, he's giving this, hey, don't walk that way. Don't walk in the way of the Gentile anymore. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Walk in, in Christ's way. And it's about teaching. Notice that? In verse 20 and 21, he says, it's about you've learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as truth is in Jesus. Okay? So letter A under number two is that His preeminence in our lives, that, that that's what gospel living should be about. His preeminence in our lives. Learning for, learning about Christ. That's what you've come to do. Most of you have come for that reason. I want to learn about Christ for my life. Okay? And then letter B. The issue of His truth in our lives. We want to understand, I need His Word. Jesus said, Thy Word is truth. Sanctify them in your truth. John 17, 17. So we want to have the preeminence of Christ in our lives. We want to have His truth in our lives. And that brings along with it, here's doctrine, sound doctrine. Here's instruction from the Word of God. Here's learning in it. Psalm 119 is full of that. Um, Teach me thy word. Uh, Psalm 86, verse 11 and 12. Teach me thy word. Teach me thy way. The book of Proverbs get wisdom, learn in it, get understanding. It's more precious than silver and gold. He's putting a premium on you and I learning and growing in knowledge. 
So, His preeminence in our lives, let it be His truth in our lives, and let us see His power in our lives. And this is where we get into the section of putting on and putting off. Okay, and first is putting off the old self. This is how the power of Christ gets started, that we put off the old man. And I want to run through this as quickly as I can. I feel like it's important because, you know, it's, it's tough to sometimes get it settled in our minds. What, what is the Bible saying? You know, putting off the old self, it's also known as the old nature. And it's supposed to, it's building a contrast in Paul's teaching for our minds to catch a hold of this. Old as opposed to new. Old living, new living. Self or old man. In fact, it's often called the flesh. You know, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Okay? So, it's what we are all at birth. The result of being a descendant of Adam. So because we are in Adam, Romans chapter 5, by nature we are, our nature is described as being fallen. It's our nature, it's corrupted, it's polluted, it's depraved. That's what our nature is. And so to put off is the figure of speech that implies to your putting off your old garment, if you will. And Scripture seems to kind of almost contradict itself. If you write down Romans 6, verse 6, there it says, We know that our old self was crucified with Him. So it seems like, hey, wait a minute. Why do we have to put off the old self when it says that I, my old self was crucified with Him? It's due to the habits in your life, the practices in your life. In Romans 6, we're making a claim. My old self is crucified. In Ephesians 4, here's the issue of, here's my, my tendency is to have that old flesh take control. And you let something fly language-wise, or you tell a lie, or you cheat at business, or whatever, you know, whatever it is. That's the old man stepping out. So Scripture really does not contradict itself. Okay? Dr. Lloyd, Martin Lloyd-Jones gives this illustration. I'll give this and then we'll move on to the next section. He says, when the slaves of the United States um, Civil War were freed, many simply forgot they were actually free people. The slaves. You can, you can picture that. The proclamation is given. They're set free. There's no more slavery but they kept behaving and living and functioning as slaves. And the government even put forth a proclamation of their newly declared freedom. They're no longer slaves. They were completely free. What they needed was what? Be reminded. Be reminded. They're free. And so put off that old status. Put off that status with its habits. Stop being a slave. Start living as a free man. And here's the key. Be what you are. Are you a child of God? Be that. You know, Civil War days. Are you a free man? Live that way. And so, I pass this on as, as Christians. Have you experienced Jesus Christ and come to faith in Him? Then live that way, right? Put off the old. Now, when He says put on the new self, what is He getting at? 
Well, it's connected with the idea of renewing the mind. Here we go back to teaching, instruction. You're supposed to renew your mind to put on the new man. Okay? So, Scripture comes forth with encouragement after encouragement. Exhortation after exhortation. No? Grow in this knowledge. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Proverbs 5. Pay attention to my wisdom. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Okay? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, right? I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Then what does it say? Verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And folks, that just doesn't happen enough because all too often our responses to things show that we're leaning on the old self, the dead old self, in activities and in life. So what we want to do is have a, a regular routine of saying, I'm in the Word of God. Why? I need the Word of God. Why? Because I want to demonstrate wisdom. I want to show that I'm not walking as a Gentile. I'm walking as a new child in, in, in the Lord. So... Also, along with that, Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. So we say, what is the, what is the data you're downloading in your mind? What's the data that you're downloading in your mind? Letter D, we wrap it up with, uh, we embrace, you know, gospel living embraces this. His likeness, letter D, His likeness, verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness in your life, it's not about your righteousness, it's about Christ's righteousness. Okay? And that helps you in your behavior. Holiness is really... Here's, I want to be set apart. That's what God has for me. So my relationship to God, that it's based on Christ's holiness, my righteousness in dealing with people. It's based on His righteousness. So, that is a, our, our, our time here together in Ephesians 4 bit more of an up-close and personal look at the worthy walk. No one of us is worthy on our own, right? We need His help and His strength. And so, let's close by having you stand and we'll uh, give the, the final benediction here. So may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Dear Father, thank You that we've got Your Word. 
Thank you, Lord, for its instruction in our lives. Thank you for how it transforms our thinking. Dear Lord, we want to be people that are not just knowing about you and knowing about your word, but activating it for your glory in our lives, putting it on, applying it. And so, Lord, we need your help. Lord, in the decisions that we face this week and the trials that we face and the, and the challenges that we face this week, please help each one of us to remember to lift you up and allow you to have your way in us. We thank you that you are patient with us and that you love us, but you want us to move on in maturity in our faith. So guide and direct in that for your sake and for your glory. Thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, amen.